I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and today we are, as you heard before, this new series called Explore God, in which we are answering a set of questions that I think we all need to uh, wrestle with. Um, So if you're here, I want to say that I'm so happy that you're here. If there's anything we could do for you, uh, please let us know. And if there's any questions you have, please approach us. Uh, We'll be more than happy to answer whatever we can answer um, for you today. The question that was given to me, um, the question, the, the first question to begin this series is, does life have a purpose? And to answer that question, we are going to be looking at a, at a book of the Bible um, that talks about this in a specific, and it's the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, and if you, if you are uh, familiar with my way of preaching, I usually read the whole passage at the beginning, and then I break it down into pieces. But today, I want to do it a little bit different, okay? So um, we're going to look at the, at the text, but we're going look to uh, look at it by sections as I go through the sermon. I believe that the section we're looking at today uh, tells us three things about purpose. Pay attention here. Number one, that we all want a purpose. Can you say we all want a purpose? Number two... That we are all, that we have this tendency to look for the purpose in the wrong place. Can you say wrong place? And number three, there's only one place to find it. One place to find it. We all want a purpose. We have this tendency to look for this purpose in the wrong place or in the wrong places. And lastly, that there's only one place to find real and meaningful purpose. Let me pray. Beautiful Savior, we come acknowledging that when we open the Word of God, it's your Word. It's not created by men, invented by men. It is your Word. Therefore, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power and presence of your Spirit, that you make these words real to us. And that we actually get a good answer for the question we have today. That you illuminate our minds and transform our hearts to such a degree that we understand that there's a greater purpose to live for. Please make it happen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, point number one, we all want a purpose. I don't know if you are familiar with one of the most successful movies ever made. It's actually a classic known as It's a Wonderful Life. So if you are 20 and you probably never heard of that movie, right? But how many of you guys heard of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Please, by show up. Very good. All Christians, very good. Um, <laughs> just, please, it's just a joke, okay? Um, one of the main characters in that movie is George Bailey, and he's a person that is seeking for this wonderful life, uh, but he, he has not been able to find it. And, um, because he has not been able to find it, he's a person that finds no pleasure in anything and no fulfillment with anything. Uh, he is tired of his old house, of his one woman, of his little place, of his old job, and he's even tired of the same old enemies. He needs more. And in the movie, he says this, and I quote, I couldn't face being cooped up with the rest of my life in a shabby little office. Pay attention to this. 
I want to do something big, something important. And in that sentence alone, he tells us two things about life which I think he's completely right. I think that the motivation is wrong, but the statement is right. He believes that there has to be something better and bigger to live for. He understands that there's got to be something better and bigger to live for. And number two, he understands that you have to find it. Because unless you find it, you will never be fully satisfied, fully happy, fully content, fully fulfilled, and you will never stop being restless. Once again, I think that he's right. I actually think that every single one of us here today, regardless of your spiritual walk, regardless of where you are in a relationship with God, every single one of us wants to live for something better and bigger. Every single one of us wants something to be part of something important. You know, that was the case of Steve Jobs as well, you know. When he was contemplating his own death, he confessed that he felt, and I quote, that it's, a, it's a strange to think that you accumulate all this experience and it just goes away. So I really want to believe that something survives. This is a dying man with a desire that his life counts for something. That everything that he accomplished counts for something. This is a man that is about to die and feels somehow the necessity of transcendence. And every time I hear something like that, something inside of me, and I think it's true of you as well, something in your inner being tells me, I want to be something, I want to be part of something that matters. I want to be something, a part of something that is bigger and better than what I see right now. I want to find that thing because that will be the only way that I feel fully satisfied, fully happy, fully content, fully fulfilled. And unless I find it, I will be restless for the rest of my life. Now, the reason why we're looking at chapter 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes is because the author of this book understands the importance of a purpose. He understands how important it is that our life counts for something. So the text in verse number 1, chapter 1, verse number 1, introduces this speaker as the teacher, the son of David, and the king in Jerusalem. That will be verse 1. And that description tells us that the author of this book is no one less than King Solomon. One of the most important people in the Bible, in the history of the Bible. What is interesting about this man is that he was a man that literally had it all. He lacked nothing. He was the son of a successful king, King David, which is one of the main kings in the Bible as well. The Bible describes King Solomon as a man full of wisdom and full of understanding. The Bible says that he was a great leader. He was admired and respected by other leaders. So and so much that people, leaders, and kings 
oftentimes will go to hear him and learn from him and also to see the magnitude and the beauty of his kingdom. In the terms of my daughters, he's no joke. He's a man of wealth, a man of wisdom, and a successful man. What is interesting about this individual, though, is that right before he starts his career or his ministry, he does not ask God for power or wealth or position or titles or education or ideals or any of those things. He asks God, you find this in 1 Kings chapter 3, for discernment. Wisdom to know the difference between good and evil. He asked God to help him rule right. And he asked God to help him make good decisions. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why? Because these men believed that we were all created for something better and bigger than just the things we have now. Because he believed and understood that we all want, to, we all want our lives to come for something. Because he knew that unless we find that thing, we will never be fully satisfied, happy, content, fulfilled, and we will continue to be restless. That's true for you. You were created for that. Regardless of where you are in your spiritual walk, you were created for that. You crave that. I would actually argue that this is the reason why every single, well, I wouldn't say every single one of us, but many of us are moved every time we see someone doing something sacrificial for somebody else. You know, when you get a little bit of emotional here and you tear up a little bit, how many of you guys get moved every time you see anybody doing something like that? Oh, my goodness, you guys are really bad. It's like three of you. But maybe, maybe you just don't get emotional, but you feel something inside. I would argue that this is the reason why we respect and honor and admire people that defend other people. Because that life counts for something. I would argue that that's the reason why we admire religious figures, even if you are not a religious person. Because that life counts for something. I would argue that that's the reason why the company Marvel exists today. You know why? From 2008 till today, they have made 20 movies. Two per year, people. All about heroes. And they have made $17.5 billion. We have made them rich. You know why? Because we believe in heroes. And that's why we hated the last movie. Have you seen that movie? I'm going to ruin it for you right now. <laughs> Avengers Infinite War. You know what happened at the end of that movie? I'm going to destroy it for you. <laughs> the heroes lose. 
Every time we see something like that, there's something inside of us that tells us there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than my little job, with my little home, with my tiny family, with my little entertainment. There's got to be more to life than this. We all want to be part of something bigger and better. We all want our lives to count for something. If that's the reality of our hearts, and I believe it is, then why is it that we struggle with this concept? Why is it that it's really hard, even though, let's say that you are a Christian, let's say that you believe all of this, why is it that it's so hard for us to actually accomplish and feel this? Well, this is point number two, because I think that we have the tendency to look for those, to look for a purpose in all the wrong places. And this is the part where Solomon, once again, the person that wrote this, is going to become all depressive on us. And you're going to see in a second that if you don't take into consideration the context of the, of the letter, you will feel that this man is so and so depressed that he should never, ever, ever be considered to be a teacher. Because he says this, verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Let me say it again. Last sentence. Everything. Can you say everything? Is meaningless. <laughs> you hear this guy and you say, dude, get, get help. Man, this man needs counseling. Can you imagine a teacher like that? Can you imagine a teacher walking into the classroom and studying by, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know why you're here. I don't even know why I got to teach this thing if everything is meaningless. But that's not what he means. That's why we got to pay attention to the meaning of the word meaningless. Because the word meaningless in the Hebrew is the word hebel. Which you don't have to remember that, but this you have to remember. Meaningless means breath. A breeze. Something like smoke. Something that comes and goes away. And he says that everything in creation is like that. Actually, there's a second definition of the word meaningless there, hebel, which is the word idle. So what I want to do right now is pay attention to the first definition, the word breath or breeze, smoke, and then later on I'll come back to the second definition. Because what Psalm is going to do here. He's going to try to prove to us why he says that everything is like a breath. Everything is like a breeze. Everything is short. But before we jump into this, I want to remind you that the man that wrote this had it all. He was not a depressed man. He was a man that conquered all. Had it all. But this is what he says. Number one, that all of our work is like a breeze. Like everything we work for is like a breeze. Verse number three, what do people gain from all their labors 
at which they toil under the sun. This is what he's saying. It doesn't matter how much you work. It doesn't matter how much you try. It doesn't matter how much you gain. At the end of the day, it's never enough. The word gain in the text is profit. So it doesn't matter how much you conquer and accumulate and do. At the end of the day, you don't have profit. And he describes the life like that, life in terms of under the sun. What he's saying is that even though you work hard and you work long, at the end of the day, nothing is enough because nothing satisfies. And I know you know that I know you know that that is true. It doesn't matter how much you enjoy your job. I enjoy my job right now. But I know that it's not enough. It's just never enough. Because work is like a breeze. It comes and disappears. It tells us also that people are like a breeze. Man, and this is going to offend you like if there's no tomorrow. Because he tells you, he's going to tell you that you are not as amazing as you think you are. That I'm not as amazing as I think I am. Look at here, verse 4. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Let me read it again because I know they're putting those verses really laid back there. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Now let's jump to verse 11 because he makes it even more clear. No one remembers the former generations. Hold on. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who followed them. You know how depressing that is? That it doesn't matter how much you do, how good you are, how good looking you are, how amazing you smell, people will not remember you. People will not remember me. Let, let me prove my point. How many of you guys remember your great, 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 great grandparents? There it is. I mean, you might remember, your kids might remember you, and your grandkids might remember you, and maybe your closest friend might remember you, but it's just a matter of time, and no one will remember you. Even the best and the greatest people in the history of the world are but just a footnote in the history of creation. A footnote. I don't even understand why we call ourselves awesome. We are like a breeze. Isn't that true? That's depressing, people. And then he says that life is like a breeze. In verse 5, he says, The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Verse 6, The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Around and around it goes, ever returning to its course. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. Pause there for a second because Paul, um, 
Solomon is saying, it doesn't matter how much you do, it doesn't matter how much you gain, it's always the same thing over and over again. The sun does the same thing, the wind does the same thing, the water do the same thing, it's all the same thing. And then in verse 9, he says, what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again, there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? <laughs> and then he says, it was already here, dude, long ago. It was here before our time. <laughs> I find that so amazing. Because when I look at my life, like for real, for real, my life, I, it's, it's always the same. You know, you would say maybe my Sunday is different, but no, every Sunday is the same. Like I preach, and you look at me just the way you're looking at me right now. <laughs> it's all the same. The same people will fall asleep during the sermon. <laughs> it's always the same people, too. That's frustrating. <laughs> this is my life. Get up 5.30 in the morning. Make a cup of coffee. 5.38. I'm spending some time with the Lord. 6.30, I wake up my family. and help my family because they need help. Um, I get ready, I go to the gym, sometimes, <laughs> take a shower, come to church, meet, read, study, I go home, eat, relax a little bit, help my girls, watch TV, go to sleep, and guess what I do the following day? Exactly the same thing. <laughs> That's your life. But there's something inside of us that say, oh, no, there's got to be something better. And then we try to trick ourselves that there's got to be something better and more amazing and more powerful. And that's why I call our culture the exclamation point culture. Because we think that if we put an exclamation point of these certain words, everything is going to be different. So we love the word radical and epic, revolutionary transformative, impactful, life-changing, ultimate, extreme, awesome, emergent, inno uh, innovative, on the edge, the next big thing. And Solomon says, yeah, dude, he was done before. He was done before. There's nothing new under the sun. You know why? Because life, in its totality, is like a breeze. And he puts everything together under verse number 8. All things are wearisome. Part of the reason why we are so tired is because we're pursuing things that are big and amazing that are not that big and amazing. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear, it's filled of hearing. Nothing is enough. It doesn't matter how much you pursue. You're still tired of chasing things that are not enough. It doesn't matter how much you hear, it's not enough. It doesn't matter how much you see, it's not enough. It doesn't matter how much you experience, it's not enough. 
Because work is like a breeze. People are like a breeze. Life is like a breeze. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. See, you hear this and you say, there could be one of these three reactions, actually. For some of you, would say, oh my goodness, I just got to give up on life now. I'm not going to take a shower anymore, brush my teeth. You get home and your wife says, hey, can you help me a little bit? Why? Everything is meaningless. <laughs> I don't think that's what he wants. Maybe for some of you, you hear this and you say, I thought, especially if you're visiting today, <laughs> I thought that Christianity was fun. I, I thought that the church was supposed to give me hope. Yeah, no, it's, that's not the point. The point is not for us to stay all depressed here. We have one third option, which I think that's the intention of the text. And it's to invite you and to call you to find something much better and much bigger than anything else. You know, the beauty of a text like this is that it's completely honest about life. God is completely honest about life. He's not sugarcoating anything. That's why he struggled with those books that tell, uh, tell you something like, live your best life now. That's not this guy. The Bible is honest. This is the reality of the world. Therefore, we need something better and bigger and more attractive and more beautiful than anything and everything we have here. Because unless you find that, you will never have a purpose for your life. Because unless you have that, your work won't be enough. Because unless you have that, people won't be enough. Because unless you have that, experiences won't be enough. This is interesting. If you keep on reading the entire book, which is, I recommend you read it, Solomon continues to give us um, things to, uh, to cry about. He says, wealth is not going to do it for you. Power, positions, and titles are not going to do it for you. Ideals are not going to do it for you. Friendships are not going to do it for you. Pleasures are not going to do it for you. At the end of the day, this life is so short that everything is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And then he says, that's why you need something better. Bigger. More secure than wealth, power, ideals, friendship, work, pleasure. You need something better and bigger. Now, remember that I told you that the word meaningless had a second definition. And it's the word idle. And this, I, I think this is the reason why Solomon used this word. It's because part of the reason why we don't find satisfaction and contentment and happiness, like real happiness and fulfillment, is because we are trying to find real purpose in things that are idols. Things that are created by us. This is the irony and, and the irony of our, of our idolatry, <laughs> we create them, we elevate them, and then we expect that they behave better than us. You know how foolish it is? 
that we create something and then we worship it? Part of the reason why we struggle is because we turn good things like wealth, power, ideals, friendship, pleasure, work, we turn good things into God things. That's the problem. Question. Where do we find a real meaning for purpose? Where do we find purpose? And this is the part where I find the Bible so amazing. Because Solomon is using here, and this is point number three, Solomon here is using the word meaningless. And I don't, I don't think that he understood this, but he used this word, and years later, another person uses the same word to explain what the real purpose in life is. And this other person is Paul, the person that wrote, that wrote the book of Romans. And this word appears in Romans chapter 8. Which if you don't know much about this, Romans chapter 8 might be the most important chapter in the entire Bible. Actually, some scholars call Romans chapter 8 the greatest chapter ever written. And this is why. Paul uses the same word in Greek to say this. That the creation is subjected to frustration. That word frustration is the same word that we find in Hebrew for the word meaningless. But the reason why Paul is arguing that the whole creation suffers from the consequences of meaningless is because sin entered the world. But the whole chapter is about Jesus. And the whole chapter is what Jesus came to do. And the whole chapter is a description of how Jesus was going to make everything new again. This is amazing. Because Solomon has questions. And Paul says that the answer is Jesus. Because Solomon knows that there's got to be a better and bigger reason to live for. And Paul says that the answer, the purpose we live for, must be Jesus. And he tells you why. Because of his death and resurrection. Because Romans chapter 8 says that Jesus had to die to take the punishment we deserve. You know why? Because every time we look for a purpose in the wrong place, we sacrifice our relationship with God and we sacrifice the people we love. That's why we deserve the punishment of God. And the Bible says, Romans chapter 8, that Jesus takes that punishment. And Romans chapter 8 tells us that Jesus resurrected. And he resurrected to give us a new nature, a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of desires. See, Jesus' life and resurrection is what makes a person like you and me completely new. And this is the beauty of it. That when that happens, not only you experience all of that, but the resurrection tells you that you were adopted. You belong to God and God is in you. And there's nothing more satisfying that gives you more contentment, more happiness, and more fulfillment than to know that you are known by the God of the universe. And that he never walks away from you. See, Jesus is our purpose. 
And Jesus gives you purpose. He is the better teacher, the greater king, and the New Testament calls it the greater Solomon. And this is why. Because there is nothing better than for you to know him and enjoy him forever. That's one of the Christian confessions throughout history. That he tells you that we were created to know him and to enjoy him forever. That there is nothing better than him. That there is nothing more secure than him. That that there is nothing more beautiful than him. And to live for him brings pleasure and satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment. See, this week I was reading a poem. It's kind of a poem by um, this Baptist pastor that passed away in 2000. He's named Dr. uh, S.M. Lackridge. He wrote this poem that is really famous, and I'm going to read just a fraction of it. Because every time I read this and I hear this, my heart goes back to the realization that my only purpose must be Jesus because there's nothing better than him. And this is what he says. It's called my king. It says my king was born a king. The Bible says he's seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of righteousness, the king of ages, the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's my king, he says. I wonder if you know him. My king is the only one whom there are no means of measure. Nothing can define his limitless love. He is enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He is unique. He is unprecedented. He is the loftiest, the loftiest idea of, in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the supreme problem in higher criticism. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. That's my king. I wonder if you know him. He sympathizes and he saves. He's strong God and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? Well, my king is the king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of legislators. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of pieces. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. That's my king. Do you know him? Do you know him? His promise is sure. 
His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. That's my king. Do you know him? See, it's impossible to have an encounter with Jesus and not find him our greatest purpose. It's impossible to find yourself in Jesus because of life, death, and resurrection and not start seeing everything else we do as transcendent. See, God doesn't have a problem with wealth. He has an issue when your wealth becomes your idol, and instead of using your wealth for his glory and the well-being of others, you have an issue. But when your wealth, is, you, you see it through the lenses of Jesus Christ, wealth is good for his glory and the glory of others. Jesus has no issue with power and ideals and friends and work. See, when we are in Jesus he redeems everything in such a way that we actually could do the same things we do every day, but for a greater purpose. Getting up in the morning is for a greater purpose. Drinking a cup of coffee is for a greater purpose. Helping my girls get ready is for a greater purpose. Going to the gym every now and then is for a greater purpose. Eating is for a greater purpose. Loving my wife is for a greater purpose. Coming to work is for a greater purpose. Taking a shower is for a greater purpose. Loving people is for a greater purpose. Because when Jesus becomes your purpose, everything becomes divine. You were created for that. So if you are here today and you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm asking you to do. Just ask Jesus this or tell Jesus this, I want to know you. I want to know you the way the preacher, that crazy preacher with an accent says, I ought to know you. And inside the bulletin, you should find a paper like this. Take the time to fill these questions and either uh, give it to us, to one of us, put it in the offering plate, put it in one of the baskets at the end, which is one I will help you and walk with you in your spiritual journey. But if you are a Christian already, listen up, people. Whatever non-Christians need is the same thing you need. We must know Jesus more. Until we find them the greatest and best reason to live for. Amen? All right, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you in a second, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Uh, but before that, then, I, I want to pray for that. But we also want, I want to give you thanks for your support and your prayers. Um, during the month of December, we're talking about our, our, our budget. Um, unfortunately, we didn't make budget this year. We were about... 3% below of what we had planned for. Um, so we got to pray and do more for next year. But I am so grateful for everything that the Lord did in you and through you in this 2018. Uh, and I'm eagerly waiting to see 
the amazing things that the Lord is going to do in you and through you in 2019. Uh, so if you want more information about that, uh, go by the welcoming desk. There's information there for you uh, to take home. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, beautiful Savior, we come uh, before you acknowledging that um, we all crave to be part of something better and bigger. Lord, I know that there's people here that never had an encounter with you, and today is the day. I pray, Lord, that you move. I pray, Lord, that you illuminate their minds and move their hearts. I pray, Lord, that they get to taste and see how amazing you are. Lord, but I pray not just for them, but for all of us. We just need you more, Lord. We want to know you more. Actually, Lord, when I think about this, I, I think of eternity. And when you come back to make things all, all things new, I, I know, Lord, that I'm going to spend et eternity trying to know you more. Finding you more beautiful, more perfect. Finding that in you and you alone, I find everything I'm be, I have been craving for. Please reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. In 2018, Lord, we thank you, Lord, because you provided for our needs. And even though we didn't make budget, Lord, we know that you, this coming year, will continue to provide for us. You will continue to magnify yourself in this place. You will continue to move. Now, Lord, as, as we participate in this offering, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that we do it out of gratitude. And we do it, Lord, because we understand that there's nothing better than you. Lord, prayer for me is that I find you more satisfying, more fulfilling, more beautiful, more perfect than anything else. And I pray the same thing for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your love. In the name of Jesus, we pray.